Dear brothers and sisters, I'm not sure if you've ever had the experience of flying into a city at night. So when you're flying into, well, where would you fly? Belfast? Where's nearest airport to here? Belfast? Dublin? I don't know. Dublin, maybe. Um, normally, when you fly into Dublin, you fly over the coast and land in the city, so you don't see much of it. If you fly, if you land in, in Heathrow or Stansted, any of those, you fly a little more over the city. So when you're flying low over a city, it's amazing what you can see. Like there may be hundreds and thousands of mil, hundreds and thousands of people below you, and they're all there in their cars, and you can see a stadium and people playing football and people heading to the gym and people preparing meals and people going out and cars driving everywhere. And you get a really interesting perspective, you know, because from up there. Certain things are really unimportant. When you're at 15 or 20,000 feet flying over a city, if a person has perfect eyebrows, it makes no difference. If they've had a face tuck recently, you won't even see it. If they have designer shoes on or clothes, it makes zero difference. So driving a big car or an average car, it makes no difference. You just don't see it. I find it interesting to, to try and see things from God's perspective. When he looks, when he looks at you, what he sees here is a group of individuals that he loves and that he knows intimately. A group of people, individuals. He doesn't just see like a, a crowd. He sees individuals all simultaneously. We can't do that. I can only look at one person at a time. He can see us all simultaneously and gaze into our soul and know us profoundly every movement of our heart and, and in that there is a call to, to sanctity each one of us is called to be a saint but I find very often especially us Irish uh, we, we auto exclude ourselves from that call very very easily if any of us were to, to be told, you know, you're, you're called to be a saint, most, I think, would say, no, not me, Father. Not me, Father. The sisters up here, they're, them two, they're, they're called to be saints because they're, they're religious, you know, so they get to pray all the time. The rest of us, no, 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 no. I couldn't be a saint. Not at all. I mean, I'll, I'll do the mass thing now, every now and again, and I'll pray the old rosary, and I'll go to Medjugorje or Fatima or Lourdes, but, uh, oh, no, couldn't do, couldn't do the saint thing. And so we ought to exclude ourselves. No one has told you you can't be a saint. You've told you you can't be a saint. And so then we don't, we don't even have it as a goal because it's just, it's, it's not possible. Why would I even try? Two stories. One is our gospel and one is a man from Poland named Jan Ternowski. He was born, born in 1901. And uh, a smart guy wants to go to college to become uh, uh, an accountant but he had to come back from college a bit early because of sickness in his family he had to take care of his, of his sick dad who was a tailor his father passed away and left the business to Jan so Jan had to work as a tailor even though it wasn't really what he would have chosen but he was a man of profound faith and so each day he'd get up very early in the morning, go to the early morning mass, pray his rosary on the way there, pray his rosary on the way home, pray multiple rosaries throughout the day while working. Now he was a bit odd. He was a bit eccentric. 
a bit kind of, you know, like, like us all, you know, a bit odd. Uh, but he was asked by the Salesians to lead a men's group. And he said he would. He had a profound love for Trees of Avila and John of the Cross, so for Carmelite spirituality. He really loved Carmelite spirituality. And so he started this men's group. And one of the, the young men who attended his group was a young fella called Carol Wojtyła, who went on to become Saint John Paul II. And one of the other guys in, in this men's group said, Jan's influence with Carol, so with uh, John Paul II, was gigantic. I can safely say that if it wasn't for him, neither Carol nor I would have become priests. I love that story because this kind of odd, eccentric tailor, a bit, ex bit, a bit, a bit intense, a kind of intense kind of character, was absolutely instrumental in Carol Wojtyla becoming a priest, bishop, archbishop, and pope. His daily prayer, his daily example, his daily perseverance also then during Nazi occupation of Poland, all of this spoke so powerfully to this young Carol that he was inspired to become a priest. And I think there are many kind of Jan Tiranovskis out there, just people who subtly live their faith, they pray, they try to live to lead a good, honest life. And without realizing it, that can be such an inspiration. Grandparents have such an influence on the faith of their grandchildren. They see you pray. They see the sacred heart picture up in your house. They see your rosary beads before mass. All these powerful little examples, they may seem insignificant, but there's nothing insignificant in the eyes of God. All these little examples are important. I remember hearing a preacher ask a, a group of people once, he said, um, do you have a savior? People responded, yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have a savior? Yes, <laughs> good. Do you have a healer? Yes. Do you have a redeemer? Yes, and then he called out, could you let your face know? <laughs> let your face know. If we're going to be missionary, then we need to show people by our lives, by our example. We need to show them by our joy. We need to show them that, that we know the Lord and that because of that we have this, it's far more than a crutch. We have, a, we have the grace that we need. We have a goal that we need. We have everything we need because we have the Lord. And so this should cause us to be joyful. So then in our prayer lives, we're, we're joyful in coming to Mass. It's not that we don't do so with a sense of duty. We do so with, with almost excitement. I get to meet the Lord. In today's gospel, this is uh, a very powerful gospel for, for, for priests, but I think it, it, it applies to all of us. Simon Peter had, had let the Lord down. Now, I, I understand him. I'd have done exactly the same, if not worse. This, this angry, volatile crowd shouting at Jesus, crucify him, crucify him. We want him dead. Would you have stood up in, the, in this, just this, 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 the, the, the danger, the violence of that kind of a crowd? And then as he's scourged and as he's 
shouted at and spat at and jostled as the cross is mounted on his shoulders as he's nailed to it. Peter wasn't there. Peter left him. Peter denied him three times. And so weeks afterwards, the Lord meets him and says to him, Simon, son of John, so that's his surname, right? Bariona. He uses his, his full name. Simon, son of John. Do you love me more than these others? Now, why doesn't Jesus say to him, Simon, son of John, where were you when I needed you? Where were you? Why did you leave? Why did you deny that you even knew me? He doesn't say that. Jesus, Savior and Redeemer, trusts Peter, even though he's imperfect. And I think that's, that's for, for us as priests, that's just such a powerful example because we, we know we're not perfect. And I think you do too. You know you're not perfect. And because of that, we can say, well, because I'm not perfect, Lord, you couldn't possibly use me. You couldn't possibly call me to sanctity. You couldn't possibly do good through me. So it's okay. I'll just, I'll just tip away with my own little thing here. I needn't worry about this call to sanctity. That's, that's only for the, the elite. I'll just tip away with my own little, little prayer life here. That's not what Jesus asks. It's not what he's asking of us. We are called to sanctity, which is holiness. We're called to be missionary, to witness to that joy, to that redemption, to that grace that we have received, to give an example of that out in the world. And all of this despite the fact that we are imperfect. He's not waiting until you are perfect to call you. He's not waiting until you are perfect to use you. He calls you as you are now. This gospel is just, it's, it's so powerful because all of us, all of us, we know our own fragility and weakness and ups and downs. We're just so inconsistent in our prayer lives and so inconsistent in our moods. The Lord, uh, he wouldn't need me. And yet he looks at you. He knows you. He loves you. And he calls you. And he calls you by name. And so we can insert our, our, our own name in, in this gospel, in, the, in these words of the Lord. As he uses, as I say, your full name. So Catherine, John, Mary, Patrick. Do you love me? And maybe our answer is, yes, Lord, you know I love you. I'm, I'm not as good as I should be. I'm not as prayerful as I should be. I'm not as holy as I should be. And we, and we start listing all of the excuses. But that's not what Jesus asked, nor is he particularly interested in the excuses. He just asks again, do you love me? And that answer, that's, that's up to you. No one can answer for you. The Lord asks you today, do you love me?
Peter, despite knowing that he had failed, answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus promotes him. Doesn't give out to him. Doesn't take his vocation away. He promotes him. Feed my lambs. And so as we hear those words of the Lord today, directed at each one of us, let us take a moment, especially after we have received Holy Communion, to hear the Lord's words, do you love me? And to answer them with sincerity of heart, so that the Lord might respond to us, follow me.